0: Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas, brought to you by Floor & Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed.
1: Bill, welcome to WBAP. Hi Jim, how are you? I'm doing great, how about you? Good. Jim, I'm fixing to do yet another roof on the house to have it
2: replaced and over the years, I've seen a number of contractors remove the nails, pound the nails down, or
0: a little of both. Right. What's the rule of thumb?
1: There isn't one. And a little of both is actually typically what a, what uh, I would say would be the norm. And, and the reason for that, if the nail is sticking it up enough where it's easy to grab hold of and pull it out, pull it out. Uh, if you can't, then you've got to make sure that it's, it's down flat, but, uh, as much as possible, I do like to take them out only because I'll use my house as an example. I've been in this house coming up on 16 years. I've had three roofs put on it already. Uh, how, how many spots can you have a half inch diameter nail head in there before you start nailing into those nail heads?
0: Uh, That's my thought too.
1: Yeah so as much as possible i like to take them out but you can't take them all out and the ones you can't take out you just hammer down okay appreciate it you bet take care the one thing i will tell you take the old roofs off i hate re-roofs or overlays i guess is what i should say not re-roofs a re-roof is fine as long as you strip the old roof off and the reason for that the, the, the shingles are not totally flat, and so if you put the next roof on top of it, and I know you're putting the felt paper down and all that that's supposed to help, but your new shingles are not laying flat. The next hailstorm that hits, it doesn't take near as big a hail to damage a shingle that has got airspace under it versus one that is flat on the plywood. You'll get better, better longevity out of the roof if it's flat on the plywood, As well as it just plain looks better. But you got to also remember the weight of the shingles. A normal shingle weighs 220 pounds per square. That's a 10 by 10 area. And so every time you add another layer, you're adding weight to that roof. And if you've got any type of sags in your roof, adding another layer of shingles sure as heck isn't going to help that either. By the way, with, uh, you know, the, cold weather that uh, we had come in in the last couple weeks had an interesting thing happen in our house. Uh, My wife has lots of plants and pots and stuff, and she brought all the pots inside the house. I wasn't here that night. I was out of town. And uh, I come home the next day and she starts yelling, come get the snake, come get the snake. Apparently, she had brought a snake in with her plants in the pot. So I went to kill the snake and did kill the snake. Ended up being a rattlesnake. Now, fortunately for me, he wasn't moving very fast since it had already been cold. And, uh, you know, the the, the, conc- the floors in the house were chilly just from, from it being cold outside. But when you bring your plants in, you may want to take a closer look at the pots, what's in them. And what's coiled up in the branches and all that kind of stuff. You bring stuff in all the time with your potted plants. Uh, Fortunately, typically it's not a rattlesnake or anything like that. But it wasn't anything that a shovel didn't take care of. So we got rid of him. What preparations need to be done to the soil before a two-story home is built? It's located in the Cedar Hill Grand Prairie area. And this comes from Freddie. Well, Freddie, it's it's not as much what preparations need to be done as much as the soils test needs to be done. And I guess you could say that is a preparation. The The deal is, if you don't get the soils test done, you won't know what type of foundation to build, especially in the area that you're talking about. Because there's sections down there that it has black gumbo clay soil that goes down 30 feet. There are other areas where there's rock a foot and a half Below the ground surface. What the soils test does, uh, the the soils engineer comes in, they do a, a core sample, they test the soils, they will then do a report that tells you exactly what type of foundation to build to avoid foundation repair problems. And a fortunate thing for me since I'm in foundation repair as one of my businesses is most of the time The design engineers, the contractors, and even the homeowners don't take all those recommendations. And what happens? The foundation tends to move. So truly, if you want to avoid having foundation failure in the future, you get that soils report done before you build, and you have it done on your lot. In track home neighborhoods, they do one for every so many acres, And the soils can change from lot to lot. Believe it or not, I have done homes where on one side of the home, we're having to go, literally on one project, 80 feet. And on the other side of the home, we could only go 20 because of the soil change. We just hit that line where it changed. You need to have a soils report done for your particular property when you're building a new home and follow it to the letter. That is your best chance of avoiding foundation repair problems. I'm having a new home built and they have installed booster fan in dryer ductwork. Is this a good idea? As inspector I have come out and said it is a lint trap and fan will have to be cleaned at intervals to prevent fire hazard. Duckwork appears to be 20 to 25 feet over garage to outside of home from utility room. Thanks. Well, you're 100% correct. It is a lint trap, and so it will have to be cleaned out periodically. What a lot of people don't realize, the ductwork itself is a lint trap, and it's supposed to be cleaned out periodically. The the lint in the dryer vent causes more home fires than you can shake a stick at. That's one of the, the top starters of fires. And it's simply because we don't clean our lint traps. Uh, one of the things that helps is yes, absolutely, clean the filter in the dryer every single time you use it. But that still doesn't capture it all. You periodically do have to clean out the uh, the ductwork as well. And uh, you know, a lot of times people say, "Well, how often is that?" Well, it all depends on how often you use your dryer. You know, if you've got a house with uh, five kids in it, you need to clean it out more often than if it's just a husband and wife in the house. So there's not a set time. It just depends on how often you use it and how fast the lint is building up. Now, what typically the booster fan is used for, you know, you're know, you going to have to go up eight feet into the attic and then over 20, 25 feet is what you're saying. Well, the further the run, the harder it is for the dryer. to to move all the air in order to dry the clothes and that is what it's doing. It's literally taking the moisture out of the clothes and it moves it through the duct outside. And so what the booster fan does is just makes it work better for moving the air further. I recommend them periodically because in some cases you just plain have to have them. I'm a little surprised at the, you know, 20, 25 feet that they're wanting to put one in, but I'm suspecting that there's more to it than than just that short of run. Uh, Usually that short of run doesn't really require a booster fan. Uh, You get up in the 40-foot run, yeah, you're getting into booster fan territory now. Jim, my wife and I enjoy your show and have learned a great deal over the years. Thanks. Between... Me and my neighbor's privacy fence, leaves tend to congregate and appear to have caused some molding or at least some dark spots up to about two foot above ground. I need to reseal the cedar fence with ready seal and want to clean it. A solution of quarter cup Clorox per gallon of water spray was suggested to get rid of the dirt and dark spotting. First, does this sound like a good way to clean the fence to you? And second, think we would have any issues with the Clorox solution on our St. Augustine grass and shrubs that might catch a little of the spray? Thanks, Jan and Jack. Well, first of all, no, I don't think you'll have any problem with the Clorox getting onto the grass or anything, Uh, especially if you dilute it well. After it gets on there, just rinse You know, the more water you put, the more diluted it gets, the less damage it could do anyway. So I'm not too worried about that part. If you'll go to ReadySeal's website, ReadySeal.com, they have a great video there that shows you how to clean the wood properly to get it ready for stain and sealer. And I would suggest you start with that. Then you can apply the ReadySeal stain and sealer. Now, what's happening, though, is those leaves are getting in between those two fences and building up, holding moisture there. And so your wood is getting wet from the backside out. And don't be surprised if that doesn't start that wood to to rotting over time. So you're going to want to check that out pretty good as well before just staining it and and thinking you're going to keep that those bottom boards may end up needing some additional work, at least the very bottom. But that's something you can definitely take a look at while you're cleaning it up. Uh, But yes, the the Clorox, you know, that does clean it up. That kind of bleaches the wood. Uh, It doesn't really do a whole lot for getting the um, buildup that's in the wood off. And by that, I mean uh, dirt that's gotten on it and stuff like that. Clorox is really just a disinfectant. It's not really a great cleaner for stuff like that. So hopefully that helps you out. Just a reminder,
0: it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast.
1: It helps people find us. James, welcome to KRLD. What can I do for you?
0: Hey, Jim, how are you? Wonderful. Hey, my wife and I bought a lake house back in August, and we've got about oh somewhere around a thousand square feet of ceramic tile that was either installed as a do-it-yourself project or uh maybe not the best contractor in the world in any event there's a lot of voids under the tile some of the tiles are breaking so we want to take that up and i don't have any problem cracking out that tile and taking it up but i'm not sure on the thin set in the mortar it's going to be left behind we're going to go back with hardwoods so little little help
1: okay well, first, is there good fishing at the lake?
0: Um, well, there, 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 was until it started raining.
1: Okay, yeah, tends to mess it up, doesn't it?
0: Yes, it does.
1: Okay, uh, here's the easiest way to do it: scrape up all that you can with, you know, just regular scrapers. You know, they make right. the, a, a power tool for taking up the tiles and everything, and that does a pretty good job of getting most of it up. But they make a floor grinder. It looks like a big buffing machine like they use in the grocery store, but it, it uses rubbing stones on the bottom. Okay. And you literally take and rub that across that floor, and it'll clean it up in a heartbeat.
0: And that's a rentable piece of equipment? Yep. Very good. That's what right. I needed to know.
1: The only part, you will have to buy the stones. They don't typically rent the rubbing stones with it, but right. um, it's available at almost any rental place. Uh, I know I've even seen it at the uh, uh, Home Depot rental centers. Okay. All right. I'll check that out. Okey doke.
0: Good evening,
1: James. You <laughs> Thank know, I, you so I, much, I huh? used to have a lake place, and all I did was go up there and work on stuff. I had a great time. When I got all finished rebuilding it, I went ahead and sold it. It just it wasn't as much fun anymore.
0: Well, you know, if you miss that part, I can give you the address. You, and you can come on down. There's plenty to do.
1: My wife would definitely tell you I've got plenty to do here at the house right now. So
0: I, I, I understand that. I thought I was done with it until we bought a lake house, and uh, Mama said, no, we're going to do this and this and this. And uh, so, uh, you know, I may be in the same
1: boat. Yep, there you go. James, <laughs> take care and have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> you too, sir. Thank you. Hmm, bye-bye. bye-bye. This one comes in from Sugarland and it's, Hi Jim, I frequently listen to your show when driving. I was walking around my house and noticed something sticking out of the slab. It looked like a piece of rebar, except it has several strands that are braided. It sticks out about 4 to 6 inches and is about a half inch in diameter. Never saw it before. Can you tell what it might be? wish I could attach a photo. Does it indicate that something is happening inside my slab or beneath my house? Thanks. And this comes from Arnold. Arnold, it's actually a post-tension cable uh, and typically it does come out the side of the home. That usually gets cut off and then a cap made out of mortar gets put over the little cup that it was in. Those strands run all the way across the house, and that's what gets tensioned up after the concrete is poured. And there are times that uh, if something has gone wrong, that the cable will come out. As an example, should a cable have broke, the tension springs off, it can pop out like that. But almost always, you know, unless something has really drastically happened, uh, I wouldn't expect the cable to have broke. Almost always it's that it wasn't cut off to begin with when the the, uh, foundation or when the cables were tensioned after the foundation was poured. And so usually it's just a matter of making sure everything is tight, cutting the cable off, and then, like I said, you should see a little cup into the foundation uh, about the size of a Dixie cup that can be filled with a grout or a mortar and seals it up so that uh, everything stays protected from the elements. The problem with leaving it exposed like that, it's been rusting. It continues to rust, and at some point, the rust gives way, and the cable can break and come out. And so you want to avoid that. Now, the way those cables work, you know, they stretch from one side of the house to the other. After this concrete is poured, they come back typically a week later, come back typically a week later, hook those up to a hydraulic ram and stretch and tighten those cables. They put clamps on the end, uh, what they call keys, on the end to lock it into place, and so it stays under tension. That's what holds the concrete together when it gets cracks, because all concrete's going to crack eventually. And rebar, post-tension cables, all this is in there to hold it compressed, hold it together when the concrete does crack. So is it something that you need to lose a bunch of sleep over? Absolutely not. Even if one of the cables had broken, it's not something to lose a lot of sleep over. Typically a new one can be threaded through if need be but it is something that you do want to address because you don't want to wait until it does become a bigger issue. So there are companies out there that are called post-tension cable companies that can come in, tension it, check it, and go ahead and uh, take care of it for you. Um, If you want to call the Due West office at 713-473-7156, we've got companies that we deal with that... uh, I could recommend i just don't have numbers with me for them harry welcome to ktrh how can i help you hello jim thanks for taking my call uh,
2: my wife and i built the custom home out west of hempstead back 15 years ago and uh being out in the country we like to have a big porch and so we got this wraparound porch 14 foot off the main house and uh well, we wanted pea gravel on it, and so were the people that poured the slab, they poured the slab, but they leave they leave a bit of a recess, and they they, they we had uh, we had a uh, a brick perimeter put around the outer part of it, and then they uh-huh. later came back and then filled it in with this pea gravel. Okay. It was awesome for the longest period of time, but you know because of the moisture that wound up seeping in there or whatnot, we have got some pretty. Pretty big crack starting to happen, and and I'm I'm wondering whether I should try to seal those with some sort of a caulking repair material, or what I can do that would fix it and maybe not destroy the aesthetics
1: of it. When you when you say pea gravel, is this the exposed pebble stone exactly. product that, yes, that sir. you know like it's an inch thick?
2: Uh, actually, it's it's probably. Closer to the thickness of a of a brick, because we lay these bricks down horizontally around the perimeter, uh-huh. and then there, it, which basically created this 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 kind of a hollowed out area right. to fill in with with uh, with with concrete that was mixed with the pea gravel. And okay, it was so
1: it is a concrete then that's mixed with pea correct, gravel. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. If that's the case, probably what's happening is just the surface area, you know, where you've got this exposed aggregate. Is is what's cracking up because typically if you're going to do a cap like that, you have to do a minimum of two inches. Anything less, it's going to crack. Yeah. And and that's that's basically what's happened to you. Uh, truthfully, there's pr- there's probably nothing you're going to do that's going to look right. Is as, as far as trying to fix those cracks. Uh-huh. I would leave them alone as long as you can. When you can't take them anymore chip that out and just report
2: is that right you wouldn't use that product that they that they that you see along sidewalks for expansion joints and so forth the gray stuff that they well
1: you can but one of the things you mentioned was you want it to aesthetically stay looking good yes that stuff's going to stick out like a sore thumb
2: okay all right so we're better off leaving it and then we'll just fix it down the road
1: Yep, because it's 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 only a veneer that was put on there uh-huh. it's really not doing anything structural. Right.
2: Okay. Well, that's what I wanted to know. I didn't I I I I'm if it's going to get worse, it'll just get worse regardless of what I do, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, and I will throw this out to you. If you get ready to do something different with it, uh-huh. you may want to consider, you know, given what you described to me about the porches, you may want to consider using uh tile plank Ah. instead of going back with that exposed aggregate and give it a really nice wood look out there.
2: That's an awesome idea.
1: Because if you do that, uh, the way they used to do recessed areas, they would fill that thinner area with a mortar mix rather than concrete. Yeah. It held up better. Then you can put your tile over the top of that and you would have a whole new look there and It would really give you something that would last for years and years.
2: That's a great idea. I'll certainly take that into consideration. I really appreciate that.
1: And have a Merry Christmas.
2: Yeah, you too, Jim.
1: If you're a first-time homeowner or you know a first-time homeowner that you want to, you know, give them a great gift for either Christmas or a housewarming gift. Or, like in my case, my daughter who's getting ready to graduate college and she wants to take care of her own projects, tools to get them started well your basic toolbox obviously is gonna have to have screwdrivers you need both Phillips head and flat heads and I will tell you if you're gonna get screwdrivers just go buy a package of them that's got assorted sizes because there is no one-size-fits-all they need different lengths they need the different screw size heads it's it's just an assortment is a much better way to go and quite honestly it's just not that expensive to get them that way then Every toolbox has to have a pair of channel lock pliers. That's the adjustable plier that's got the grip for the bolts sitting out to the side of it. Now, they're not really designed for grabbing bolts. They're just great for grabbing and holding on to things. You need an adjustable crescent wrench. And again, get the package that has multiple sizes. Uh, Typically, I'm going to tell you, get like an 8-inch, 10-inch, 12 inch that covers most projects if you want to get a package that has bigger ones that's fine but uh, make sure you just have an assortment size because the big ones don't always reach into every place you need to go now for me I want a great claw hammer and you got to kind of think about what are you gonna do with this claw hammer they have framing hammers and then they have finishing hammers Your typical homeowner they're not framing a house, so they don't need that big, heavy claw hammer that's got the ridged heads on it and stuff. Get a nice, smooth head finish, maybe a 16-ounce type hammer, and that's a good all-around hammer for your typical homeowner. And a handsaw. Everybody loves to have a power saw, but you know what? There's a lot of things you can do with just a regular old handsaw also you need to get a hacksaw now they make several different holders for the blades get a good one the cheap ones they don't hold the blade nice and rigid and the blade will start twisting so spend a few dollars and get a good one and that goes for all the tools you buy cheap tools they're gonna break you buy good tools they last for a lifetime and of course you got to have a toolbox now the old toolboxes were always metal newer ones a lot of them are plastic I happen to be nostalgic. I love getting the metal toolboxes, but i got to be honest, i got a couple plastic ones. They never hold up as well as the old metal ones. I still have my first metal toolbox I bought 35 years ago, and I still carry tools in it. So get a good metal one, and it'll last you a lifetime. Those are your basic tools just to get you started. You can add a lot of other stuff to it, like a cordless drill, a cordless a uh, skill saw, things like that, but those are add-ons. Get them the basics so that when they move in the house, if they want to hang a picture, they got the tools to get it done. So what do you get that person for Christmas who has everything? They think they have every tool they ever would need, yet they want more tools. Well, start looking at the specialty tools. There's some very cool specialty tools out there. If you want to look at some of the power stuff, you can get a power planer. And most guys, they don't have a power planer. But you can also start taking a look at table saws. Well, okay, he's got a table saw. How about a radial arm saw? Maybe he already has that. Well, start looking at jointers. Those things are extremely cool and do a great job for people who do projects. And if they got all those other tools, they're just a step away from getting tools to start doing projects. And the other tool that most really woodworking guys want is a lathe. And again, don't go cheap on the lathe because you got something that's spinning high RPMs. You want to make sure it holds onto that board instead of flinging it across the room and hitting somebody in the side of the head. Spend your money on the tools, and the tools will take care of you. And, and that goes for all the tools. Like if you're looking at buying a new circular saw, whether you're going to go with Skill, which is the name brand that we all know. In fact, most of us call a circular saw a Skill saw. Or you want to look at one of the other brands the size of the motor the amperage is what makes a difference on how that saw is going to hold up so if you buy a real cheap one that's got low amperage you're gonna wear it out if you buy a name brand you can take a look at skill you can take a look at porter you can take a look at any number of different brands but get the ones with the higher size motors they'll hold up and they'll do you a much better job